Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ plus sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm the vice president of Team DC, and I've played and loved sports my whole life. I've played with Team DC member clubs, the DC Furies Women's Rugby Club, and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC, and I'm a diehard sports fan. I've played with many of the Team DC member clubs, including the DC Gay Flag Football League, Kara Bowling, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, and the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. I'm also a member of the DC Different Drummers, and I do a little bit of drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome, everyone. Lauren Gabe here. Happy Pride Month. It's June 14th, and you're listening to Under the Bleachers. On this podcast, we take turns, and this week, it's Laura's turn to choose our topics. For a discussion of all things queer, she chose lesbian bars and queer bars brought to you by lesbians and others. For our conversation of all things sports, we're talking about the College Softball World Series. And for our topic at the intersection of sports and queer, we're talking about some tennis players whose names we aren't going to bother to learn and another example of how not to apologize. After that, we're going to share our interview with Whitman Walker Hell. First, an update on Team DC. Last week, we celebrated Team DC's Pride Week 2021. The virtual celebration featured content from Pride Night Out partners, including the Washington Nationals, Washington Capitals, and Old Glory Rugby. A conversation between out professional soccer player Colin Martin and Team DC's 2021 college scholarship recipients, an exclusive interview with the Washington Mystics regarding social activism in sports, and a powerful panel discussion featuring some incredible trans activists including one of the student athletes turned activists featured in the new Hulu documentary, Changing the Game. You can view the film on Hulu now, and if you missed any of last week's content, it is all still available for viewing at teamdc.org. Our next night out event will be at the Washington Mystics on June 29th, more details coming soon, and be sure to follow Team DC and its member clubs on social media for more updates. Find Team DC on Facebook at Team DC LGBT and on Twitter and Instagram at Team DC Sports. Laura and I will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all your favorite podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe to Under the Bleachers for all the latest news at the intersection of sports and queer. Now here's Laura with our first topic in this week's trip, Under the Bleachers. Okay, for my queer topic this week, I am very excited to talk about the Lesbian Bar Project. Last week, comedian and lesbian icon Leah Delaria, best known as uh, Big Boo in Orange is the New Black, premiered her executive produced documentary, The Lesbian Bar Project, at the Harbor New York City rooftop. The film is presented by Jägermeister's Save the Night Initiative. In attendance at the screening were co-directors Erica Rose and Alina Street, as well as various bar owners and community activists, including Joe McDaniel and Rachel Pike from DC. For anyone queer in DC, if you don't know Joe and Rachel yet, you're going to know them soon. Joe is the former manager of Aloho, the queer women-centered space in Adams Morgan, and she has been a bartender in DC queer bars for decades. And Rachel was also a member of the Aloho team. Joe and Rachel have stepped out on their own together. They are both business and personal partners and have teamed up to open As You Are Bar, a new queer space for the DC community. 
As You Are is currently a virtual community that is hosting pop-up parties around the DC area and has plans to launch a brick and mortar location in DC soon. The Lesbian Bar Project premiered worldwide on Thursday on Jägermeister's global YouTube and tells the stories of the few remaining lesbian bars in the US. It is a travesty that there are only 21 bars identifying as lesbian or centered around queer women in this country. If you are lucky enough to live near one of them, go there right now and support them. And go watch the Lesbian Bar Project online. And the Lesbian Bar Project's donation fund is now open at lesbianbarproject.com backslash donate. So you can support these spaces no matter where you are. So Gabe, have you spent any time in lesbian or queer women's spaces over the years? Over the years, yes. And uh, sadly, they've closed. Uh, I remember when I first moved to DC, going to phase one with some friends. Oh, um, yeah. And uh, oh, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of fun, but it yeah, it closed down. That was the original one. And then, uh, you know, I've been to Loho a couple of times. Um, it's kind of crazy. Like, why do you think all these queer women's spaces are closing? Well, you know, I think it's a, you know, it's all kinds of things. One is that the restaurant and bar industry is just a tough one, right? Like things yeah. are cyclical, things are popular, then they're not popular. It's a, it's a business with tight margins. It can just be hard to keep a business like that running for a long time. But, you know, I also um, think that as people have started to feel safer in more spaces and included in more spaces, um, the spaces that are lesbian centered or queer women centered, um, you know, have to compete more with other spaces because people feel more comfortable being themselves and being out and proud in other spaces. So that makes it more difficult. I also think for a very long time, um, queer women spaces were all about like dance parties. And as women aged and like didn't necessarily want to go to a dance party every weekend or had children or whatever else, there wasn't like a good outlet for women to still socialize in a women's space. Um, so yeah, I think it's a lot of reasons, but I also think, um, you know, as a person who is in my forties and has been a queer woman, queer woman for a while, um, you know, there's something very unique and special about women-centered spaces because I love seeing my best gay boys at gay bars and that's fine, but men don't necessarily make space for women always. So if you wanna like hang out with a group of women and you know spend time together and enjoy yourself, it can be very hard to do that in a, just a you know typical gay bar. Um, guys don't necessarily, aren't necessarily the most accommodating to a group of women. <laughs> so yeah, so, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons why they these bars have all closed, but I also am super excited that people like Leah Delaria are shining a light on this issue and hoping that that means that more of these spaces will open. I recently had a really nice conversation with Joe and Rachel about As You Are Bar, and they have a really great concept for a space that's going to include a dance floor on one floor, a cafe on one floor, and more of like a pub tavern feel on another floor so that it's welcoming to kind of people in all phases of their life and um, looking for different ways to um, spend time socializing and enjoying time with their friends. So it sounds like a really cool um, project that they're looking to hope, you know, to launch. And I hope that that gets off the ground. That'll be great. And I'm um, kind of looking up, so like with the uh, the Lesbian Bar Project, 
uh, it's starting to get the conversation now started with some places. Like I, I, I saw some stuff in Texas where, yeah. you know, the state of Texas has two lesbian bars. Yeah, been which, which is more than most states, but it's more than most places, right? Like yeah. when they first started the Lesbian Bar Project, it they um, were filming the film and they started about a year ago and they had a marketing campaign when they first started filming. And at that point they had identified 14, I think. It was either 14 or 16. And in the course of the last year, they were able to identify a couple more. Um, so they're up to 21. But I mean, that is a very small number. And then when you look at the list, you're going to notice that, um, you know, three of them are in New York, right? So you're like, for the whole rest of the country, we have 18 lesbian bars. That's insane. No, yeah. Um... And like just recently talk about it. I have some friends who are in town and they're visiting from Texas. And one was like, well, where's a lesbian bar? And I was like, oh, go to Loho. Like we have one here. Luckily, you know, we used to have two with three spaces. Now we have one. But uh, yeah, she's like, oh, yeah, I, I can't find a bar, you know, back home. Uh, so when she travels, she's like, where can I find a lesbian bar? And I'm like, well, we have, yeah, luckily, well, we have one in the town. Like, There are only a few places you can go. There's one in Mobile, Alabama, I believe. <laughs> a couple in Texas, a couple in New York City. Um, like, I don't think there are any, like, in California. It's weird. Um, there's there's a place in Atlanta. Um, so, yeah, there, there's, yeah. One, there's one in San Francisco, and then there's one in San Diego. Okay. Yeah, and there's one in Oklahoma. Oklahoma has three. Okay, see, it's kind of random, but hey. Okay. Oh, and, and one of the um, couples that was featured in the film, I watched the movie. It was actually really good. It's a short film. I okay. um, there are more. Okay, New York State has the same amount of lesbian bars as Oklahoma, which is the most <laughs> with three. Yeah. So good job, yeah. Oklahoma. Well, and they're all in New York City. Yeah. Two of them are in Manhattan and one's in Brooklyn. I've been to all three of those bars. They're lovely. One of the film, like the film showed footage from Meow Mix, which was this old lesbian bar in, D in New York that shut down some years ago. I loved that place. Like that was like where I was for my 20s. And it was just one of my favorite places on earth and it's gone and it's sad. So if anybody wants to um, financially back me, I'd be happy to open lesbian <laughs> bars everywhere. So if anybody out there is just interested in sending me hundreds of thousands of dollars, please feel free to reach out. You can the lesbian Johnny Appleseed and just like yeah. go around just the country. Go around from state starting to state. bars. That's right. State to state and make sure we have at least one lesbian bar in every state. Per capita. Yeah, we got to be close. Yeah. Look at Louisiana. What do you mean? But yeah. So that was, there's a, that bar is owned by a couple, a married couple. They were featured in the film and they essentially told this story that like they were out like they just wanted to stop somewhere and have a drink. And the two of them went into this gay bar together and they were having drinks and they were just made to feel really uncomfortable and then kind of like run out of the bar because the guys didn't like that these two kind of butch presenting lesbians came into their bar. And so they decided to open a bar in Louisiana, a lesbian bar. <laughs> but like, you know, they had footage of the bar and it looked pretty crowded and they were having like political events there. It just seemed like a really great place. I mean, yeah, even to this day where people are like, oh, we have the internet and stuff like that. People still need spaces where they can feel comfortable. We still need to take care of each other. And yeah, it's kind of, I'm glad that we're finally talking about this again and getting more of the discussion going on about saving these queer spaces, especially for queer women. Because um, yeah, when you think of like, oh yeah, LGBT, everybody thinks about like the gay side of it, but you forget about 
you know, the women and, you know. As if boys are the only people. All the other letters. Yeah, I mean, come on. Everybody likes to have fun. Also, women folk in spaces are always just more kind. So if you need a place to just kind of chill out and be yourself as opposed to like have a party, you'll be better at a lesbian bar. But he wants to bankroll uh, Laura. Yes. Please, please reach out. Um, Lottery winners or anybody? I was born to be a lesbian bar promoter. (laughs) (laughs) What would you call Uh, it? I don't know. I mean, there are so many options. Let me, you put me on the spot. I'm going to have to think about it. I always wanted to open a sports bar and name it um, either the Type 5 Pub or the Sin Bin. But for my lesbian bar, I'm going to have to put more of a girl spin on it. So, so we, wanted, we wanted to open up, we're, our big joke about opening up a bar right next to the Dirty Goose, and we're going to call it the Flirty Moose. That could be the lesbian bar. <laughs> no, I'm not going to call my ladies Meese. The is Meese? Is Meese the plural of Moose? I don't know. Uh, I always said if uh, me and probably, my... I think it's probably mooses. Maybe it's just moose. I don't know. What's me- two moose? It's a meese. It's a moose. <laughs> Ask a Canadian. Uh, <laughs> oh, boops. <laughs> if I ever won the lottery and got a bajillion dollars and I could open a bar, I would go back to San Antonio and open a gay bar called Lucille's and it's going to be a Joan Crawford themed bar. Oh my God. This Because again. she's from San Antonio. Oh, I didn't know that. She's yeah, Lucille Lesser. She's a crazy lady. It, it, we're gonna, it was, it was going to be modeled off of the late, great Cobalt. So the bottom floor is going to serve food, and we're going to call it Wire Hangers. And then it was, say, you're just going to like hang clothes on wire hangers everywhere. <laughs> yeah, basically. And then it, it's like the first floor is vaudeville themed, and then it goes into like her, like, uh, you know, um, all the movies. And at the end, it's like Trog and like just horrible space age, like B rated movies. We've had this plan for years. Yeah, I'm no, so I, it's not the first time I've heard you talk about this. <laughs> okay, Christina. All right. <laughs> exactly. So if anybody wants to bankroll our bar ideas, we've got great concepts. At least one of us Absolutely. does. Laura, oh, you got to work please. I have so many concepts. Just because I don't have a name for it doesn't mean that I don't have a concept. My concept is fucking fun. And uh, women, women everywhere. What more do you want out of this world? Um, anyway, speaking of women, my sports topic this week is the College Softball World Series. Because the College Softball World Series gets no love anywhere else, we're going to give it all the love here on Under the Bleachers. The 2021 NCAA Division I Women's College World Series of Softball wrapped up this week. The best eight teams across the country faced off in a double elimination tournament at the USA Softball Hall of Fame Stadium in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. The eight teams that made the tournament were James Madison, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Georgia, Alabama, Arizona, UCLA, and Florida State. The number 10 seed Florida State Seminoles advanced to the World Series championship round against top seed Oklahoma. Florida State came out of the gate hot in game one, jumping out to a 7-0 lead on the way to an 8-4 victory in front of a crowd of 12,173 fans. But no team has beaten Oklahoma twice this year, and the, and Florida State was no match for the Sooners, who rolled to a national championship. In the final game of the best-of-three series, Oklahoma starting pitcher Giselle Juarez threw seven sensational innings that locked up her bringing home the award for the most outstanding player of the week, and Jocelyn Alo's 34th home run of the year set the tone early as the Sooners simply never looked back, cruising to the title-clinching win. 
So Gabe, I ask you, did you catch any of the College Softball World Series? I actually did. I was uh, having drinks at Duplex Diner last Friday and we were watching, I think it was UCLA and Alabama. And that's when I learned that the, the Softball World Series is in Oklahoma. I was like, why Oklahoma? So we're just sitting there like Googling it and everything. And then- Well, first of all, two of the 10 teams that made the World Series are from Oklahoma. From Oklahoma. <laughs> also, the College Softball Hall of Fame is, is in, in Oklahoma. Oklahoma. <laughs> so yeah, that's why. Uh, also, yeah, that's you learned. know- Good on Duplex for having the College Softball World Series on TV. Nobody ever pays attention to the College Softball World Series, and it's a damn shame. Because, we were all like glued to the TV watching. I mean, those the games are the, the games are stressful. Like the games are close, the games are tight. Like, and these women routinely starting pitchers in softball will pitch a complete game. And they don't throw obviously they're not throwing hundred miles an hour, but they're throwing 80 miles an hour. I mean, these oh, are yeah. like it's this is serious business, but they will throw a complete game and you'll watch. Sometimes the line is like zero, 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 zero. I mean, it can be, it's a tough sport, but, and those athletes are incredible. I love uh, college softball. It's really fun. Um, to see it to that, that level. Cause like normally you think of like, Oh, it's just softball. It's something recreational. I was like, no, this is intense. Like the game was super intense and we were all just staring like, okay, one you more know, beer. People, Let's just keep going. <laughs> like play recreational softball, which is like slow pitch softball. Forget what fast pitch softball looks like when it's being played at the highest level. Oh yeah, you know, it's not. It's not the same game. <laughs> and it's great because it's you know it's it's softball, but it's also it's a little bit more compact, and it's just it seemed a lot faster and a lot more. You know, you never knew what was going to happen. It was insane. Like, yeah, well, you know, they play sh slightly shorter games. They play seven inning, you know, games. Um, basically, all the other rules are the same, but. Um, the there's usually because they don't lead in softball they like steal from the, it's it's weird yeah. but anyway it does i think keep the game moving longer because there's less of this whole sort of like watching the runner looking back the runner all that nonsense um so i do think <laughs> the game kind of moves along a little quicker that way but also with playing seven innings i think you know your pitcher can just stay sharp and throw harder for the whole game. So you never get let up on the defense, right? There's not that like sixth inning slump and your starting pitcher starts getting shelled. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, congratulations to Oklahoma. I think this is the fifth time Oklahoma won the softball world series. So that's, you know, a great program. Um, all of these programs are great. I did not get to see James Madison play but I know that was a local hometown sort of team yeah. that made it and was, you know, that was like very exciting for them. So congrats to them and congratulations to Florida state um, as a 10 seed to make it to the championship is in and of itself, a really amazing accomplishment. And obviously these kids deserve more TV time. Watch women play sports. Put women's sports on TV. Spend money marketing women's sports. We need, <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, women's sports, we need more equity in this country. The women are fucking beasts. They are talented and they deserve to be showcased. No, yeah, totally agree. All right, so what's going on in uh, the world of queer sports? <laughs> well, so this week's topic at the intersection of sports and queer, we're going to take a look at one of the worst apologies I have ever seen. 
The ATP is currently investigating rising Danish tennis star Holger Rune for yelling gay slurs during a match on the most recent ATP Challenge Tour. During a semifinal match, Rune screamed the word faggot multiple times, once after his opponent hit the ball out of bounds, and then again after the winning point. When one of Tomas Martin Echeverri's returns sailed over the white lines, Rune yelled, quote, you are a pussy player, and quote, you are playing like a faggot ass. Later, he shouted, Ale, faggot, and Ale is translated to go in English. So I, I don't know what he was saying, get out of here, faggot. I'm not even sure. Um, Rune is 18 years old. He made his ATP debut earlier this year. He's already clinched two titles, including last weekend's tournament in which he made all of these uh, slurs. The ATP has announced that it has launched an investigation. I'm honestly not sure what they need to investigate. Everyone that was at the match or watched the match on TV and everyone else who's already watched the video of the match that is all over the internet has already thoroughly investigated and determined that Rune, in fact, screamed faggot at his opponent multiple times during a match. Seems pretty open and shut to me, but I'm not an investigator and I don't work for the ATP. On Sunday, Rune issued what I gather he thought was an apology on Instagram. He said, quote, two crazy weeks, two ATP challenger finals and my first ATP challenger title. I heart emoji you all. I want to use the opportunity to apologize for using some bad words to myself in my semifinal yesterday. I love diversity more than anyone I know and people that knows me, they know that. Sorry for not being as perfect yet as you all expect. Let's get wiser and better together. Light bulb emoji, gear emoji, hammer emoji. <laughs> so what the fuck? What the actual fuck? I'm not even going to say anything more about that so-called apology because if I start, you may never get to speak, Gabe. Needless to say, Rune later issued a shorter apology that did not include all of the cringeworthy shit that his publicist freaked out about. This guy is supposed to be a rising star, but I'm prepared to cancel him right now. But as my hero, Ira Madison III, always reminds me, you can't get canceled if you've never been scheduled. And I'm pretty sure nobody has scheduled this guy yet for anything. Gabe, I I don't even know where to begin with this guy. What 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 do you have to say about this? Okay, first off, like yeah, that that obviously was a scripted apology and stuff like that. But this is what yeah. you think that that nonsense was scripted? No, no, no. Like his his whole apology, like you could tell, he's just like, oh, I uh, you know, like something's I mean, just stupid. Like it is. No. I mean, first of all, he spelled, he wrote the word no, N-O, when it should have been K-N-O-W, and I'm like, you don't know nothing. Also, exactly. he used the, I was talking to my self-defense, which was a blatant lie, and then he used the, I love diversity, I know a gay person defense. Yeah, the, you, know, the, 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 you know, the typical, like, oh, um, somebody says that I, I, I messed up, so let me just... Uh, put in the same you know sentences that everybody puts in like oh i know a gay person and i love inclusivity and diversity yada 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 like um can we talk about the most offensive part of this fucking apology which is what does light bulb gear hammer even mean <laughs> something <laughs> like, like something like, danish uh, maybe but it's like light work pound i don't I <laughs> 
like what the fuck dude what are you even out here doing and i was i was thinking it's like it, it's always weird when you, when you hear like these organizations saying we're going to do an investigation to see what happened what are um, you investigating what are you investigating <laughs> I'm, I'm like there were a lot of people there and like the videos on the internet i watched it you can clearly hear him speaking like i i don't I, yeah i don't get that um i don't get light bulb gear hammer I don't know how he has the balls to say, I'm sorry for not being perfect. Sweetheart, nobody's asking you to be perfect. We're just asking you not to scream faggot at people. Is that, yeah, and, is that so much to ask? You know, in a derogatory sense, cause like I love RuPaul Drag Race España where they're just calling each other faggot basically, but that's different. Very Claiming the word, but I also- yeah, I think we all understand the concept of people can reclaim words, but you can't, not in this sense. And if you're so cavalier and so like, oh, I'm just going to yell it out when I'm upset, then- Well, first of all, sir, that is not your word to reclaim. Exactly. Second of all, if you are reclaiming it, you're either using it when you're referring to yourself or lovingly about somebody else who you love. This was not what he was doing. No, yeah. This is and... a bad, bad person. And he's only 18, but 18 is certainly old enough to take responsibility for your own actions. Well, especially with, with everything going on in professional sports and when people, you know, especially with like athletes at this level, if they're starting out or whatever, you see people like they get questionable tweets brought up to them when they were young and stuff like that. And it's like, dude, you should know better. Just ask Chrissy Teigen. <laughs> Ooh, too soon. Ooh. <laughs> speaking, <laughs> speaking of being canceled, um, you know what? I have to just throw out one more topic that I think is very important for the two of us to discuss before we say goodbye, which is, I know- Kylie Minogue's new song. Kylie yeah, Minogue. No, that's not it. Uh, I know how much you love diving. Have you, I don't know if you've seen any of the recent trials, but have you seen this 14 year old child that is like one spot away from making the Olympic diving team? <laughs> He's, my height, I think. Like, he's like this little teeny tiny, like, skinny boy. He's, he's 14, Abe. And an amazing you diver. Him, you got to look him up. It's amazing. He was in sixth place the last time I had checked in on the trials. Like, he might make the team. Or, you know, he might have made it by now because this was a couple Wait, days ago. But... for who? For the U.S. What's his name? I don't know. He's 14, Gabe. I thought it was a joke. I was like, what am I watching? Why is there a kid at the Olympic trials? And then he did a dive and I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, no, I encourage you Joshua to check Hedberg. out. There you go. Joshua Hedberg, 14 years old. Whoa. You thought I was kidding. Look at him. He's tiny, right? And he's only going to be 17 for the Paris Olympics in 2024. What is this? <laughs> Listen, I don't know. I've done God, nothing man. with my life. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, wait. I, I'm 30 full years older than this kid. <laughs> like, full oh, yeah. three. What were you doing in eighth grade? I was, in, I was in my first Olympics. What were you doing in eighth grade? Three full decades older, and I've never been to the Olympics. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you can work on it. Don't worry. You still got time. You still got time. Is there a sport for retired people <laughs> in the Olympics? Maybe I could learn bocce. Let's pick up archery. Oh. Actually, I have no hand-eye coordination, but other than that, that sounds like a, <laughs> that sounds like a really good plan. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> okay, that's this week's Under the Bleachers Roundup of Things Queer, Things Sports, and Things at the Intersection of Sports and Queer. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to share our interview with Whitman Walker Health. Welcome back to Under the Bleachers. Today, we're joined by Juan Carlos and Rama from Whitman Walker Health. How are y'all doing today? Very good. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, doing well. Thank you for the space. Awesome. Thank you for uh, 
allowing us to uh, interview today. Can you talk a little bit about Whitman Walker Health? Uh, how long have you been in the community? Yeah, so we, uh, Whitman Walker Health, uh, known as the Whitman Walker Clinic, has been serving the community since 1973. Uh, so uh, getting our start as a gay men's uh, venereal disease clinic and providing substantive use treatment services. Tell us, um, fast forward to 2021, what is the range of services that Whitman Walker Health is offering today? Yes, yeah, so we do. We offer medical Dental, we have two pharmacies in Northwest and Southeast location. We also have case management, HIV, STI testing and treatment, behavioral health, legal services, your services, clinical research, uh, public benefits and insurance navigation. So, so a very comprehensive <laughs> uh, <laughs> offer. Yeah, kids. that is definitely <laughs> comprehensive, and I'm really glad to hear that. Um, does the Whitman Walker Health service any particular segment of the population, or is everybody welcome to walk through the door? Is there anything specific that you focus on or um, are particularly geared towards? So you kind of, um, your question was centered around our priority populations and like what who we serve and what we do. That Women Walker is open to every single person. You know, we see you, that's our model. Our A of expertise is serving the LGBTQIA community with a um, special emphasis on um, folks living with HIV and um, providing the HIV care, HIV treatment and preventative services. But as one colleague just mentioned, we do have a variety of services. It is essentially a one-stop shop um, with an added layer of that community health service that um, our department directly provides. Awesome. And what do you think is uh, some of the greatest health issues that are currently um, that are the, the current local LGBT community faces? I would say um, a lack of affirming LGBTQ um, LGBTQIA health centers, um, the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on HIV and um, on black and brown, in black and brown communities and people and the lack of federal protections essentially too. So it's like there are a lot of comorbidities within our priority populations that it's growing in um, COVID-19, although health disparities have always been um, the forefront of our fight as public health um, workers. But what COVID-19 did was just kind of put it under a lens for the world. Uh, absolutely. So focusing a little bit on COVID-19, can you tell us what programs Whitman Walker Health has instituted to address COVID-19, um, do you have vaccines available at Whitman Walker and do you do uh, COVID testing? Yes, yeah, so all of those are great questions. Um, so uh, Whitman Walker uh, uh, has been offering uh, offer COVID-19 testing uh, and symptomatic treatment since last year, March, 2020. Uh, and this year we were able to finally uh, start the vaccina uh, vac uh, vaccinating our community. Um, in 2020, uh, also our Whitman Walker Institute policy team, uh, they advocated for sexual orientation and gender identity data collection during COVID-19 pandemic to better, under, to better understand um, the disproportionate impact of COVID on LGBT communities. Um, and the CDC uh, released a report on this disproportionate and uh, measure impact of 20, uh, 2021. Another 
we're doing the outreach kind of going back to the communities. COVID-19 did um, block that for us and kind of like we had to stay home as far as like working from home, although we were on site still doing services, we kind of turned our center into a COVID-19 response space for our communities and everyone else um, <clears throat> going through COVID-19. But now with the new recommendations and what we know more about COVID-19, being able to find ways to keep um, our staff and our populations and our clients safe, we are back in the community, whether it's um, we're doing the virtual approach, the in-person approach, you know, educating folks, um, dismantling those um, the misinformation that's out there about the COVID-19 vaccine. So we've been proactively working on messaging that's um, inclusive of our population of folks for, I mean, the entire year is what the, um, we've been committed to in addition to all the other services that we do provide. Great, and if people have questions or concerns relating to the COVID-19 vaccine, where can they go to find more information on that specifically? Well, as far as it relates to um, Whitman Walker, you can um, just call us directly at 202-797-4439 and on our website. So the first thing that you'll see is our banners and what, what, what COVID-19 looks like, what more looks like under COVID-19 um, and the pandemic, what we're doing for folks, but also coronavirus.dc.org. And um, that goes for Maryland and Virginia. The information is there, it's accessible. It's on social media, it's on flyers. Folks are doing door-to-door um, -door canvassing um, to get folks vaccinated. It's, it's everywhere around us, but sometimes for us, we realize that healthcare needs to go to our clients. They don't have to come to us at all times, which is why the outreach component is extremely important that um, that's our phase currently and having different walk-up sites and signage and just visual representation of being in community. Cool. And can, um, you know, anyone who wants to visit Whitman Walker or seek any of the services, uh, do they need insurance or can they visit without insurance? Yes. So Whitman Walker offers, um, takes insurance. We also, uh, since we are a federally qualified health center, uh, we offer a sliding fee scale. Uh, and we, as I said, we work with any, uh, any health insurance, most of the health insurance uh, in the DMV for anyone who gets care with us, regardless of uh, the ability, ability to pay. Um, we also have a team, as I mentioned early, earlier, we have a team of uh, public health benefits uh, and insurance navigators. Uh, and, and those folks, what they do is they, they help clients to enroll in benefits uh, that they are eligible for. Um, so um, if folks would like to contact our insurance navigation team, uh, they can provide support at 202-745-6151. Just to add to that, um, just our general thing is let's not let insurance be the barrier to care. Whatever the next steps we are, we will be there to walk you um, through that to ensure that you're able to navigate the healthcare system um, and just really meet folks where they are. But when yeah. it comes to COVID-19 vaccine, that is free. You know, so um, folks out there, that is free for everyone, everywhere you go. No one should be charging for the COVID-19 vaccine. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Remind mm -hmm. people um, to watch out for that. And um, that if you are, um, if you do need help navigating insurance, um, it sounds like people at Whitman Walker can be a big help to that. And um, 
as healthcare does expand and our access to healthcare continues to expand, one should feel empowered to take advantage of the new opportunities with the exchange and other ways to get access to healthcare. We're we're so grateful that we have Whitman Walker to support the community here in DC. Um, and with that in mind, I would like to ask each of you as people who uh, work with Whitman Walker, can you give us some examples or some maybe anecdotes about your experiences and things that you're particularly proud of where you've seen Whitman Walker have a positive impact on the community? Yes. Um... You know, there's so many areas that we can uh, talk about it uh, uh, all day long. Uh, we today we we could focus and in, in the areas that Rama and I oversee, which is our impact in the community through our department through community health um, prevention services. Um, one of the uh, highlight uh, that we would like to do uh, a point out is the prep our prep clinic. Um, so for those of you who uh, don't know what PrEP is, so PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis, and it is an FDA-approved prevention pill uh, for uh, anyone who is sexually active, who don't have HIV, but who have a greater chance of becoming HIV positive. Uh, so we can, you can take that uh, pill a day, and uh, can prevent HIV up to uh, over 90, 92%. Um, and that tool is so important in our prevention tool that we have been offering uh, and we have been impacted, um, creating an impact in the city. Uh, we have successfully been able to engage uh, in, in rolling PrEP uh, more than, than half of uh, the PrEP adopters in the city. Uh, so that we are very proud of that work because that marks in that help us to achieve the goals of reducing the HIV in the, in the district. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you mentioning that. I um, learned just, you know, within the last year, I had, a, a, you know, a blind spot in my knowledge. I, for some reason, was under the impression that only people who were assigned male at birth could take PrEP, and I then learned that that is not the case. And so, you know, if anybody out there has any questions about PrEP, I encourage you to go to Whitman Walker and get the information because this is obviously an incredibly important tool in fighting HIV. Um, to add to that, I think um, one thing that I'm, I'm very proud of for our organization and what we do is our commitment because COVID-19 was something that hit each individual. It wasn't an isolated community. It wasn't of course, um, exacerbating other communities, more uh, commun some communities than others. But I think that um, the way Whitman Walker stayed committed to our mission, to being in this space and being present and open and um, turning our entire facility into like a COVID response team while still supporting um, all, all of our clients in the best way possible, telehealth, increasing our, um, changing our care model in 72 hours, honestly, is what, I'm most proud of. And of course, we have um, a 
large social media presence now due to the pandemic. So we were able to provide the education to folks and be where they are because so many folks now, all they had was their phone. The prevention was to stay home and connect with people through technology. So we did that. We were in your living rooms with you while you were going through the pandemic, while whatever health crisis you're going through and you needing access to prevention care, needing the HIV testing, um, getting that to you or giving you resources where you can go. So I think um, expanding on our services on as a nonprofit organization, you know, was um, very admirable and it continues to be a very proud moment for me. Yeah, I, I agree with Rama. Um, you know, we, we uh, our, our community utilize our service, uh, free walk-ins, HIV, HIV and STI, uh, testing and treatment. And this is a very, I mean, if back from the our roots, right? Since this is how we opened uh, in 1973. So I think people, uh, folks are uh, pretty comfortable coming to our doors and, and we do serve a lot of uh, folks in the community. And being able to pivot up, pivot up these services to uh, telehealth services to offering uh, during COVID uh, and, and, and during the public health emergency, um, those services, uh, like sending those tests at home, doing at-home collections uh, and reaching out to, uh, to, to folks, I think that was a pretty important one for us and to uh, keep uh, the community engaged and while dealing with COVID, we cannot uh, forget about HIV. We cannot forget about STIs that were prevalent in, in the city while COVID was also hitting uh, the DMV. All right. So we also know that Whitman Walker Health sponsors the Walk in 5K to end HIV every fall. So can you talk a little bit about that? What are the plans this year, uh, especially with COVID restrictions kind of lifting in the city? Uh, well, this year, uh, it marks our... Uh, 35th anniversary of the uh, the walk and 5K uh, to an HIV uh, and Women Walker Health its first walked um, I think I believe it was in 1987 and in back then it was actually called Next Step uh, and this event is a, one of the most important events of fundraisers uh, for for Women Walker Health uh, to support our mission. Uh, and, and the walk and 5K, uh, from, uh, as uh, formerly known as the AIDS walk, uh, people probably call that AIDS walk, and we moved that name away, and now we're calling uh, the walk to an HIV. Uh, is, uh, it basically supports uh, our work to keep 20,000 plus patients uh, annual, annual, uh, annual virtual uh, patients that we, we see um, every year. And this year, once once again, as last year, the work uh, the walk will be virtual again this year. Uh, so instead of being at the Freedom Plaza, which is a traditional place that we used to gather, uh, will be virtually this year. Go ahead. It will Ron. be it will be in October, the end of October. That date is coming very soon. So we could do um, to keep up with up to date on the registration and fundraising and everything, you go to www.walkinhiv.org. So the goal is to have, with the restrictions being, um, you know, ease with the eases of the restriction, but it was so, it's so important to remember we are very much so, we have not reached um, community, herd community by any means. Um, altogether, we have 386 um, million Americans and about 
49% of those people are fully vaccinated. So it's extremely important to make sure that we realize that um, it is still, COVID-19 is still extremely prevalent in the space. People need to get vaccinated before gathering large crowds like that. So that's why keeping the, um, the, the walk virtual, it was still extremely important. People are able to now take, we're walking together, we're all in the space together while you're walking, sharing that um, there's a, we create a roadmap for you, you know, and then um, sharing that people are still creating their teams or team that they're comfortable with. People have their vaccine pods, their quarantine pods that they're sharing space with. And we encourage that to come and support um, our populations and um, continue the fight against HIV. So please make sure you check that out and donate for us at www.walktoendhiv.org um, and still form your teams. And who knows, we might have pop-up stations with Women Walker folks along your journey to see us and take photos with us. <laughs> that sounds great. Um, in addition to the walk, do you guys have any other major fundraisers you wanna tell people about and or um, a place where people can go to just give donations? Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Whitmanwalker.org. <laughs> we have a donate button. Yes. And if you just go to our website, you'll see the button to donate. And when you're donating to us, remember that you are donating to a cause that um that has been in the community over 40 years, over 45 years, but it just came to light and Whitman Walker built this space about 40 years ago to continue the fight and we're still in the fight. So you're supporting our community efforts, our pro bono work that we do, our gender affirming services, our um, dental service, our, our anything that we do um, in that space, the walk to continue to bring these events into uh, for folks to come to, to build these um, safe space for folks. This is what you're supporting. You're supporting visibility of the community of our uh, marginalized populations across the nation. Terrific. Um, okay, let us know where is Whitman Walker Health located and are there, aside from your main location, are there places that people can go for testing, STI testing? So we are, we have multiple locations. We, uh, Whitman Walker at 1525 is located at 1525 14th Street uh, Northwest. Uh, we also are uh, located, uh, we have uh, administration as well as some legal services and HIV testing at the Whitmore Walker at Liz, which is uh, 1377 R Street Northwest. Uh, so the 1525 and uh, Whitmore Walker at Liz are you know, very close, uh, just a couple of blocks away from, from each other uh, on 14th Street. Uh, also in Southeast, we have our Matt Robinson Center, uh, which is at the 231 Martin Luther King Jr. Avenue in Southeast. Uh, as, of, uh, as of right now, our youth services drop-in center at Eastern Market is closed uh, uh, throughout the uh, public health emergency. And do people need appointments or are there also walk-in hours for testing? Again, for the safety as the public health emergency is going on, we're still doing um, screening at the door, you know, to ensure our safety and our um, patient safety. We are doing appointments only, but can you get a same day appointment? Very likely. So here's that number again, 202-797-4439 to call us for free HIV and STI testing. We provide treatment as well um, to ensure that uh, 
folks are taken care of. So call us and you can definitely Monday through Friday from nine to 4.30. But now that we're in the community, once you go to our website, you can see where we are, where our mobile van is and come get tested with us in the community and just catch us in the community. I just wanted to add, add to that, that our services, uh, as we mentioned, HIV, STI testing, as well as the sexual health clinic that we uh, operate, which is a free uh, STI clinic, uh, um, treat and also treatment, it is open. Uh, the only changes for the uh, sexual health clinic is that instead of Tuesday and Thursday, traditionally that was held at night, now it's during the day uh, on Tuesdays and Thursday. That's the only difference, but the service are still remain the same. It's a, it's a free service, uh, free uh, uh, testing and treatment services. Rama and Juan Carlos, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. This has been super informative, and I know that there's somebody out there who needed some of this information, so um, we are extra appreciative. Uh, before I let you go, can you just one more time tell everybody what your website is, and do you want to share uh, your social media handle, since I know that you're more and more active on social media these days? Sure. Um, again, you can catch us at Whitman-Walker.org. Um, That's our website. Um, all social media handles, Twitter, um, RealTalkDC underscore at WhitmanWalker on, on Instagram. It's just at WhitmanWalker. Um, no hyphen for that one. You can catch us there. And we're on TikTok as well. So at WhitmanWalker for Facebook, Twitter, um, Real Talk DC underscore, which is Instagram. And then, um, yeah, and you, we're on YouTube as well. So just go ahead and follow us and get all this good content. And um, thank you for supporting. And that number, again, to call us for your appointment for your HIV STI treatment, or if you need PrEP, if you need um, PEP, which is the post-exposure prophylaxis, um, please make sure if you feel like you've come in contact or at risk agent within the past 72 hours, that's what that PEP is for. Juan Carlos explained that PrEP is the preventative um, measure when you, if you are negative and you wanna stay negative, let's get on PrEP. Um, if you had an exposure within 72 hours, let's get on PEP to keep you negative. Um, and you can also access treatment with us, 202-797-4439. All right, well, thanks again so much, guys. This has, again, been super informative and we really appreciate it. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston for the design of our logo. Also, our music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all major podcast apps, including Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend who might enjoy listening. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC board members Laura Frere and Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and participants of Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.